Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you help us to keep our eyes fixed on that wondrous cross and on our Savior Jesus. Lord, whatever we see this week, whatever we hear, whatever we walk through, may we keep our eyes fixed on you, giving our whole lives to you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray this. Amen. It was uh, about, I think it was exactly 30 years ago this summer that uh, my family walked into a Southern Baptist church. That was kind of a a weird thing, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, My mom grew up Catholic. My dad grew up Methodist. They got married, split the difference, and became Presbyterian. I, I don't know, I guess if that's what you put together, that's what comes out, but... So up till about 8th grade, I grew up Presbyterian and a different set of circumstances, a variety of things going on. We ended up walking into this Southern Baptist church and the reason that was weird, my parents grew up in Colorado. They grew up from the Midwest, so they they didn't know a lot about the Southern Baptist church. Probably of all denominations, we have as many uh, exciting stereotypes as any other denomination. (laughs) Some of those pretty negative uh, of the way people would view us and the way people would see Southern Baptists. They were were pretty sensitive about walking in there. But uh, I'll tell you what happened is is Bible fellowship. Uh, They called it Sunday school back then. (laughs) Sunday school classes reached out to my sisters and I. They they threw that personal follow-up visitation uh, in our homes. And before we even knew what happened, we were fully ingrained in that family and everything that happened in our family from the the good the bad to the ugly uh there was a bible fellowship class there to walk with us through that i look at at my years at second baptist houston as being so profound in my coming to christ in my hearing god's call on my life and uh, being able to grow in the lord and folks i can honestly stand here today and say If my family and I, because it was a very large church, this is not a very large church compared to where I grew up, uh, it would not have happened without Bible fellowship. I don't know that I would be in the ministry today without Bible fellowship. Uh, And so, folks, I say that with with a very genuine heart that we encourage, that we challenge, that we want to see you get in a Bible fellowship class. You've heard me say before, I don't get anything out of it whether you go or not. You know, there's no angle here that if we can get a certain number in Bible fellowship, you know, we get a new car or something. I mean, there's no award, there's no reward, there's nothing we get whether you go to Bible fellowship or not. Other than the joy and satisfaction knowing that for every person that goes in there, they open up their lives a little bit wider to what God wants to say, to what God wants to do. And uh, Anna mentioned a moment ago, you know, that that crisis and and having a Bible fellowship class to walk through that. You know what, folks, you don't get to pick as if I need to tell you this. You don't get to pick when the crisis comes in your life, do you? No, it's just I didn't know there was going to be a crisis, but bam, tomorrow morning, I'm now living in something I never knew I was going to be living in. And you know what? If I don't already have the relationships in place then the power of that Bible fellowship ministry to walk with me through, that's not there. That doesn't mean I can't jump in and get involved, but but folks, you don't wait till the crisis happens to try to put everything with God together. You want to start building that into your life right now. You know, my mom and dad uh, are in a Bible fellowship class at Second Baptist Houston. After 30 years, that's where they are, probably about 
Yeah, probably right now. They're probably walking in and, and talking with their friends. I've got a sister and her family that are in a Bible fellowship class in Second Baptist Houston. And so we, we still, after 30 years, that's played such a profound ministry in our lives. So really want to encourage you to try that out. See what's going on in there and start, again, just opening your life a little bit wider to what God wants to say and do. You know, I mentioned my parents... You know, I've told y'all before, as, as I look at one of the great blessings in my life, something I regularly thank God for, it, it's, it's my mom and dad. When I look back on my home and, and my upbringing, it, it's pretty much all good. I, I mean, there's really nothing negative that comes to my mind. Now, I can think of a handful of places, if I stop and really think on it, that my, my parents were wrong. They should have followed my leadership uh, on that situation. Um, you know, there's a couple times they were maybe a little grumpy or something like that. But, you know, honestly, when I think about my mom and dad, it, it is, it is, it's all good. I, I mean, from the model they left, from the, the way they did that, it was a very positive experience. And the reason I think that is such a blessing is not just because, you know, I'd rather grow up good parents than bad parents. I mean, not much of a decision on that. The reason that's so positive to me is because, folks, as we come up as kids... Our first understanding of authority and our first really understanding of God is going to be what we see in our parents. And sometimes the the model, the authority that our parents have had over us makes it a little bit of a rough transition to get over and transfer that to the Lord. You know, when I hear the word Father, and that's, that's all good for me. Nothing comes negative to mind when I hear the word Father. I think of a man that loved me. I think of a man that got mad at me, frustrated with me, that disciplined me. And do you know, I don't think I can look back and not for a single second when my dad was at his maddest. And again, that wasn't his problem because I'd never done anything to make him mad. But when my dad was at his maddest, folks, I promise you, I never for a second doubted that he loved me. Even when I did think, and we do think our parents are wrong sometimes, don't we? Even when I did think he was wrong, I didn't doubt that he loved me. So when I hear the word father, man, I think of somebody that I know loves me, accepts me, provided for me, protected me, cared for me, set up my life, set up the opportunities that I would have in life. So when I hear the word father, it's all good. And so when I then transfer over to that key relationship that God reveals himself in, Father, that's a pretty smooth transfer for me. Now I know in reality that's, that's not a smooth transfer for everybody. For some of us when we hear the word Father, other words come up like abandonment, cold, harsh, grouchy, a, a lecturer, never a listener. Some hard words come to our mind. And, and then we come to church, we hear that God is our Father, and we're saying, Father? Man, I don't, I don't want any more of that. I've had that in my life. I don't want any more of that. But you know, if you think about it, I, I think when God reveals Himself as Father, we really don't need a sermon on that. It's self-evident. As a matter of fact, if you're frustrated with the word Father... If the word father leaves you empty and hurting, do you know why? Because you know what a father should be. Your father may not have been that, 
But still the reason it hurts is because you had an expectation, you had an anticipation that a father should be and do these things. That's why you know to hurt and to be angry when your father did something less than that. So even if we didn't have a positive situation with father, when we hear that God is our father, all of those anticipations you wanted to have, you can have with this father. We've already answered the question, what is the Trinity? And we saw in that discussion that there are three members in this one God. There is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I look at one of the primary ways that God reveals Himself to us is as our Father. Now folks, I don't have to tell you what the word Father means in the Greek language. I don't have to tell you what it means in the Hebrew language. I have to tell you what it means in the English language. God anticipates that when you and I hear that word, when we think of that relationship, that we are immediately going to know what He is. That provider, that protector, that, that lover, that one who watches over and, and cares for. And so it is with this word that this first member of the Trinity reveals Himself. And the Scripture shows us four different places that we are to see Him as Father. The first place is God the Father of Jesus. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. He is a Father of Jesus. Now, you know, there's a point in time we become a father, isn't there? Or a mother. Yeah, you see, for me, that was June 16th, 1991. On Father's Day, believe it or not. I always love that. My wife goes through labor for 12 hours and I get a Father's Day card. Great deal there. <sighs> On Father's Day, I became, June 15th, I wasn't a father. June 16th, I'm a father. So see, there's a, obviously something has to happen to become a father. There has to be a child there. Well, the way that you and I would understand that uh, among ourselves, that's not true of God the Father. There wasn't a day, there wasn't a place out there in eternity past that God became a father, that Jesus came into being. What the Scripture says is that God has eternally been the father of Jesus, and Jesus has eternally been the son. They have eternally lived in that relationship of the father and the son. So God reveals himself as God the father of of Jesus. That's who we pray to. That's who we're talking to. This God we're seeking to study. He is the Father of the Lord Jesus. He's also the Father of all believers. John 1.12 says, But to those who received Him, they, He gave them the right to be children of God. We are children of God. He is our Father. Another favorite passage of mine is Romans 8 verse 15. And 16 says, we have received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. He is our Father. So the Scripture shows us God the Father of Jesus. The Scripture shows us God the Father of all believers. Both of these relationships are very close and personal. They're intimate. All of those good things we think of when we think of a father or all of those things that were frustrating because they didn't happen when we think of a father, that's who this God is. That's who this first member of the Trinity is. He is God the Father. Now we can also think about father in another way. You've heard of the father of a nation. We kind of, don't we, George Washington's father of the nation. We think of the father of a movement. 
the father of a company. In that case, father is not a family relationship, but rather the father in that sense means this is the one who instigated it, who originated it, who created it. Well, the Scripture speaks of God the Father in that way too. He is the Father of all creation. He is the Father of all people. And He is the Father of the nation of Israel. In those relationships, it means this is what He created. This is what He started. Malachi chapter 2, verse 10 says, Don't we all have one Father? Didn't one God create all of us? Now, in that verse right there, it's not saying that everybody's a child of God. Not in the sense that John 1.12 did. That verse right there is not saying that everybody is saved. It's saying that everybody came from one Father. Everybody had the exact same origination, the same starting point in God the Father. Exodus 4.22, the Lord has declared, Israel is my firstborn son. God reveals Himself as the Father of the nation of Israel. Now, that is a more intimate relationship than just being father of creation. But at present, that relationship is not more intimate than the father of all believers. The nation of Israel, Jews, have a very unique, have a very special, a covenant relationship with God. That's going to be one of our 20 questions. What is Israel? What is that today? What was it then? What is it now? What is it going to be in the future? So there is a unique and a special relationship between God and Israel. He is the father, the originator, the creator of Israel. But just being born Jewish doesn't mean you're saved. Just being born Jewish does not mean you're a child of God in the sense of John 1.12. So we go through the scriptures and we see God over and over and over communicating himself as a father. Now there's one other way I want us to understand our father today. Our father is the one with the plan. It was the father the one with the plan in your house? My, my mom really honored that. She would take opinion polls between me and the, uh, my sisters. But dad's plan, that's the one that's going to stand. You know, that's, that's part of being a dad. Well, our father has the plan. The father issues the plan and the son and the Holy Spirit are the ones who then go out into the universe and exercise that plan. Bring that plan about. The Father initiates, the Son and the Holy Spirit bring it about. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are equal. They are co-equal in their power. They're co-equal in their position. They're, they're co-equal in their person. But the role of the Spirit and the role of Jesus is to serve the plan of the Father. They're the ones who bring that plan about a couple of verses that show the the all-encompassing plan of God the Father Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 says according to the purpose of the one who is working everything he's working out everything now think of this past week according to the purpose of the one who has a plan he worked out everything in your week according to the decision of his will Everything going on in your life right now is being worked toward, is, is being molded, is being formed so that it fits into, so that it fulfills God's plan. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 4. Let's read this one together. I don't ever make y'all read out loud. We're going to do that right now. Let's do that. Look at this. Let's read it. The Lord has prepared everything for His purpose. That was excellent. Let's do that again, can we? 
Let's all read that. The Lord has prepared everything for his purpose. Do you believe that? That's a powerful, what is, what is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Is that, did I count that right? Eight words. That's a powerful eight words. Because I'm going to guess that if we could start on this side of the room and go all the way across, we'd find a hand pe- handful of people that were really scared by some things that happened this past week. That were very angered by some things that happened this past week. That were really frustrated. Really, really left empty. Left really not knowing what to do. Now, if I take those eight words and I believe them, that's where I anchor my life. That's where I sink my faith. Then while I might not like something that went on in this past week... Should I not stop and say, wow, I may not have a grasp of this yet, but God has a purpose in this. You know, God has this big overarching master plan, but folks, God's master plan gets right down into the details of your life. Psalm 139 verse 16 says, all my days, that includes the last seven days of your life, all of my days have been written in your book before a single one of them began. Before you drew your first breath, everything, everything in your life was written in God's book. It's all a part of His plan. Now when we think about what happened this past week, what's happened this past month, what's, what's happened so far in 2009, what has happened has come to you in one of two ways in God's plan. One, there is the directive plan of God. Two, there is the permissive plan of God. The directive plan is what God directly does. He did it. He created the earth. He saved you. Uh, he put a certain person in leadership. He caused a certain event to happen. When we say God's directive plan, we're talking about things that God directly sent, God directly made happen, God directly did. And then there's God's permissive plan. This is what He permits, what He allows, and what He uses secondarily. And this is where we see God working and being in control of our freedom and Satan's freedom. We freely sin. We freely choose to rebel against God's plan. Satan chooses freely to rebel against God's plan. God allows that. He permits that in his wisdom. But he only allows what he's going to end up using. See, he takes it and he twists it. He grabs a hold of it and makes it work and fit inside of his plan. Now think about that. When Satan is taking his very best shot to wreck the plan of God... God says, thank you, that'll, that'll be just perfect. I'm going to use that in this way right here. Now I want you to understand something. This does not mean God sends sin. God didn't send Satan to hurt you. God didn't say, oh, I want, I want to do something in their life. I'm going to send this sinner over here to go over there and sin against that person. God's not the author. God's not the inspirer. God never encourages sin. But in our freedom... When we run around and sin against each other, God promises you, I will pick that up and I'll twist it so that what the devil thought he was going to do with it is just going to end up fulfilling my plan and what I'm doing in this world. I tell you, one of my favorite stories in all the Bible uh, that illustrates this entire principle is about the last fourth of the book of Genesis. 
Genesis 38 to 50 is the story of, of Joseph's life. Joseph was abused uh, by his family, physically abused, rejected, betrayed. His family, I mean, talk about the height of betrayal. His family sold him into slavery. He goes on and ends up in another country as a slave. And the story is falsely accused and then he's falsely imprisoned. He's still seeking to honor God. He's still seeking to serve God. And then in that prison, he is forgotten. I mean, this is a guy that has been beaten up and run over by the devil. This is a guy that has been beaten up and run over by the sin of the world. But you know, through a strange set of circumstances, Joseph ends up being prime minister of the world. Of the world? Yeah, prime minister of Egypt. And at that time, Egypt was the most powerful nation in the world. I won't go through the whole story of how that happened. But now, Joseph is in a position where he can do what makes all of us feel so good, get even. He can do it. He can do it in front of everybody. Nobody can stop him. He literally has all the authority in the world. And he can do whatever he wants. And when that opportunity is presented to him, do you know what he does? The guy is nuts. He forgives him. As a matter of fact, the people who offended him, they think he's nuts. You shouldn't be forgiving us. They're scared to death. And we get one of the most powerful verses in all the Bible when Joseph speaks. Genesis 50, 20. Hey, you planned evil against me. But God planned it for good to bring about the present result. Folks, God is always working his plan in your life doesn't mean we always see it or understand it. There was 13 years. That's a long time, isn't it? 13 years from the time that Joseph heard God had a plan for him to the time that plan was fulfilled. And it was awful in that 13 years. But Joseph never let go of that faith. No matter how bad it got, he never stopped believing that God was working out a plan in his life. And God's plan always has one purpose, and that's his glory. The plan results in us seeing the greatness and the glory of God. Psalm chapter 19 says that creation was for the purpose of God's glory. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5 says that you and I were saved. Why? Because we deserved it? Because he owed that opportunity to us? No, we were saved for his glory. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says the purpose of our lives. Right down to what we eat and drink. I mean the unimportant details, the things you don't even think about. Everything is to be for the glory of God. Let me show you where God's plan is going to end up. Look with me in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 15 real quickly. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some on the, on the chairs in front of you. 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to begin in verse 24. Get to the Gospels, keep heading into the New Testament, you'll get past Acts and Romans. You'll come up on 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to begin reading in verse 24. Now in verse 24 and following, there's a lot of he's and him's. And, and so to make it clear... Who's the he and who's the him? I'm going to fill the name in for you. Okay, so if it says, well, gosh, my Bible says he. Well, it says he in mine too, but I want it to keep clear which member of the Trinity that we're talking about. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. It says, then comes the end. Okay, now you've got to go all the way back to Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created. Where's he going with that? 
We're going all the way out to the end now. We're going to see the, the culmination of what started in Genesis 1.1. Then comes the end when he, that's Jesus, when Jesus hands over the kingdom to God the Father. When Jesus abolishes all rule and all authority and all power, for Jesus must reign until he puts his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. For God the Father has put everything under Jesus' feet. But when it says everything is put under Jesus, it's obvious that God the Father who puts everything under Jesus is the exception. God the Father is not under Jesus. And when everything... Everything in history, every person, every event has finally been brought to righteousness, has finally been cleared up, when every wrong has been righted, when everything is like it's supposed to be and is subject to Jesus, then the Son Himself will also be subject to God the Father who subjected everything to Him. Look at this. So that God may be all in all. Where is life going? What, where, what, what part of the puzzle did this past week fit into? Where is this all going in life? It's all going to the place where God is seen as all in all. Where God is everything. That's where the plan is going. Now, now what does this mean? What, what does this mean when you get a bad report card? Aren't, aren't report cards coming out this Friday? Is it this Friday they come out? You kids better hold on to this. You'll need this Friday, Okay. What happens when we get a bad report card? What happens when we get a bad medical report? What is this idea of God being all in all? What does this mean when you get laid off? What, what does this mean when somebody has betrayed you? When somebody has rejected you? What am I to do with this truth? This, this is where the plan is going and every piece of my life fits into the plan. What am I to do with this? I think there's three things. One, man, I need to stand in awe of the one who has the plan. You know, the opposite of that is being frustrated as we look out at a world and think that everything is just random. That it's just one more random act of evil. One more thing that, that goes wrong. You and I do not live in a random world. We live in a linear world. We live in a world that is moving to a point, that is moving to a place where God the Father's plan is fulfilled. We should look at all of this and see how complex it is, see what a mess it is from our perspective, and be in awe that somebody is actually in control of all this. And nothing, not a single event this past week, not a single event this coming week is going to sneak outside the borders of that plan. God's got all of it contained and it's all moving to this place where God is going to be all in all. We should stand in awe of Him. Number two, we should take our life and our plans and anchor it to the one whose life and plans are going to last. God's. Folks, we know who's going to win. We, we know what team is going to be standing in the end. And you and I have an opportunity to join that team, to become a part of that team, to make our life about that team. Why would we not do that? When we know where it's going, we know how it's going to end. That's where we need to tie our life up to. And third, folks, we should have peace. Now, I'll tell you what. As I look out at my life's events and this world's events, I don't have peace about everything. And I don't think it's a lack of faith to get knocked down, to get scared, to get anxious, to get worried. But you know, the Bible does actually command that I not worry. That I not be anxious 
God, this is such an anxious moment. It's all coming apart, God. And he says, no. No, the Lord has a purpose for everything. And it's all moving to this point. So while I might, as a believer, fully trust in God, while I might have an anxious moment, while I might have a fearful moment, I think as a believer it is expected that we, we get up a little bit quicker, we brush off a little bit quicker. So man, I don't have a reason to be scared here. God is in control. And it is His plan and His plan alone that is going to be standing in the end. So as I come to understand this first member of the Trinity, I understand Him as God the Father. So that means as I approach Him, I, I approach Him with respect. I approach Him with obedience. I should fully anticipate that when I'm not respectable and when I'm not obedient, my Father's going to discipline me. That's the job of a father, isn't it? The Father is to discipline. And praise the Lord, our Heavenly Father, He can do that perfectly. Earthly fathers, we get sometimes out of balance. But my Heavenly Father disciplines perfectly. And I can also trust that as I go before my Heavenly Father, I can always trust He loves me. He accepts me. He sees me as the apple of His eye. That's my Father. My Father also has the plan. Shouldn't that impact how we live our lives? Why would we make a single plan that doesn't involve God? Why would we have a single plan in life where we haven't checked out to see, hey, does this have the same result as God's plans? Will this result in His glory? Folks, you want to know, how do I know if my plan is God's plan? If your plan has as its result anything other than the glory of God, then that's not God's plan. Because if, if I am looking at my plans, it's going to be for God's glory. Folks, this is what prayer is all about. I am coming before God with my plans. My plan in this relationship, my plan in this job, my plan for vacation, my plan for this week ahead of me. And I yield that all up to God and say, hey God, how do these plans look? Do, do they fit into yours? Is there anything in opposition or in contradiction to what you're doing? Because, folks, if only one plan is going to be standing in the end, then wouldn't that mean any plan I've got that is not inside of God's plan, that's pretty much wasting every single moment. That's a total waste of that day. That is a total waste of energy. So, you know, I think, folks, the best way we start a day is to say, Hey, Dad, here's what I was kind of thinking about today. What do you think about that? Was that your plan for this day? Was that your plan for how I handle that? Was that your plan for where I go? Because God, I want my plans to be in your plan. You know, I know a lot of us, we have a favorite verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And you know, when you understand your father as the one with the plan, this verse really becomes very practical. Put that verse up here. Now, I'm going to read this, but I want to read it a little bit differently than what it says up there. Okay? Let's look at it this way. Trust in the Lord with all your plans. Don't rely on your own plan. Don't rely on your own thinking about how that plan comes about. Think about God in all of your plans, and He'll make sure you're on the right plan every single time. See how practical that verse is? 
Now, folks, if that verse is true and I believe that, then how, pray tell, do I spend a single day of my life not talking with God about the plan? Because it's going to be my tendency to run off and get on my own plan. Every day of my life, I need to go talk to my dad. Big plans. Even the small, unimportant plans. Hey, dad, I got a plan for today. Is it your plan for me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father. What a privilege to be able to say that name and that word. Lord, even if we look back over the course of our life and saying the name Father brings up emotions and feelings that are less than positive. The only reason we have that anxiety and those feelings is because we know what a father should be. And in you, we have that father. Father, I pray that as a good father, we would respect you and honor you. That we would obey you. God, help us to trust your love and acceptance. Help us to realize in you and only in you is our protection, our provision, our care, our guidance. You're a good father. And you've got such good plans for our life. Why, you've even promised the stuff that looks like a complete mess is going to end up being for our good. Father, help me to hold on to you and trust you like that. Help me to have no other desire but to be inside of your plan for what happens the rest of this day and what happens in this coming week. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen.